Welcome to the Raised with Jesus podcast, 10 minutes every day with the life of Jesus meets yours. You've got your daily Bible reading today from Hosea chapter 7. Hosea chapter 7. Whenever I want to heal Israel, the guilt of Ephraim is uncovered, and the evil deeds of Samaria are exposed, because they deal dishonestly. Thieves come inside, and bandits raid outside. In their hearts, Ephraim does not realize that I remember all their wickedness. Now their deeds are all around them, they are in front of my face. The people of Ephraim make the king glad with their wickedness. They make their officials happy with their lies. They are all adulterers, burning like an oven. The baker does not need to stoke the fire from the time the dough is kneaded until it is leavened. On the day of our king, the officials became sick from the intoxicating wine. He reaches out his hand to the blasphemers. Indeed, their hearts are like an oven. They approach him while plotting against him. Their anger sleeps all night, but in the morning it burns like a blazing fire. They are all as hot as an oven. They devour their rulers. All their kings have fallen. Not one of them calls on me. Ephraim mixes himself with the nations. Ephraim is a flatbread, not turned over. Strangers have devoured his strength, but he does not realize it. There are gray hairs on his head, but he does not realize it. The arrogance of Israel testifies against him, yet they have not returned to the Lord their God, and they have not sought him despite all this. Israel's Instability Ephraim is like a gullible dove, without sense. They call to Egypt, then they appeal to Assyria. When they go out, I will spread my net over them. I will bring them down like birds from the sky. I will discipline them on the basis of the report about their assembly. Woe to them! because they have strayed from me. Destruction comes upon them, because they have rebelled against me. I want to redeem them, but they speak lies against me. They do not cry out to me with their hearts, but they howl on their beds. They gather together for grain and new wine. They turn away from me. Though I trained and strengthened their arms, they plot evil against me. They return, but not upward. They are like an unreliable bow." Their officials will fall by the sword because of their angry tongues. Because of this, they will be ridiculed in the land of Egypt. This is the word of our God. In the last verse of chapter 6, God said that he wanted to restore the fortunes of his people. Here in chapter 7, God turns to try to heal Israel, the northern kingdom. God turns to try to heal them, and the more he tries to heal them, the more guilt that he uncovers. The more he looks to restore them, the more that they see that the disease is incurable that God wants to restore and to redeem Israel, but the efforts of his work as a healer serve only to reveal how incurable the disease of his people is. That is how thorough their denial of God is. That is how thorough their chasing after other idols is. And that is the thoroughgoing corruption of sin, that they are trapped in it and they don't know it. And most of all, they don't care that they are. Their private life is corrupted by false dealing and thieving, thievery, I guess is the word, and honestly, they are dishonest. Um, The evil deeds of Samaria are exposed, verse 1, because they deal dishonestly. Thieves come inside and bandits raid outside, that they are stealing from one another, and they they are just trying to get ahead with what they can. They are overcome by their greed. Even life at the royal court 
is corrupted, and this corruption is seen in treachery and adultery, in drunkenness, in intrigue, and even assassination. It's like politics in the worst sort. That that is verses 3 through 7, when he says, The people of Ephraim make the king glad with their wickedness. Uh, the king rejoices when he hears the, the evil deeds that they have done. They make their officials happy with their lies. Number verse four, they are all adulterers. <laughs> then verse five, they are drunk. They become sick from intoxicating wine. They are blaspheming the Lord. And verses six and seven, even to the point of plotting against their king. Verse six, their hearts are like an oven, symbolizing their anger, because that that sense of the the flushing and the rushing of blood to the face when one is very angry or exceptionally angry, that is their approach to the king, that they try to hide their anger, that their anger sleeps all night, but in the morning it burns like a blazing fire. And verse seven, they assassinate their rulers. They devour their rulers. As Hosea says, all their kings have fallen. And worst of all, not one of them calls on me. If they experience injustice at the hands of their rulers or at the hands of their king, the people do not turn to God. They take matters into their own hands and try to solve things in their own way and at their own time. And God says, I can't believe this. I'm here to heal you. I'm here to to help you. I'm here to restore you. But it gets worse. (laughs) That's just what's going on internally. Externally, on the international scene, Ephraim assimilates himself to foreign powers, and he looks to have, looks to have, you know, not just alliances, but he wants to fit in with all these foreign powers who chase after all these foreign gods. Verse eight: Ephraim mixes himself with the nations, and he's a flatbread not turned over. And this is one of the more curious, one of the more curious images of judgment. That Ephraim is a flatbread, that he's like a tortilla or or nan, if you've ever made nan on your uh, on your stovetop, N-A-A-N. It's like this Indian flatbread out of India. And you would tear off a piece to scoop up scoop up your curry or your beans or whatever it is. And it's absolutely delicious, right? But you have to flip it over. And when God says that Ephraim, or the nation of Israel, is like this flatbread not turned over, on the top it looks good. It looks great. But underneath, their judgment is sizzling and burning and coming soon. They are totally destroyed, even though even though they're trying to assimilate themselves to these other nations, they're trying to fit in with them, and it looks good. But once you get to the underbelly, the actual goings-on within the nation, they have turned their backs on their Lord, and they are suffering for it. <laughs> that this nation of Israel, they lose their strength and they lose their youth without even recognizing it. Verse 9, strangers have devoured his strength, but he does not realize it. There are gray hairs on his head, but he does not realize it. That the nation is so obsessed with trying to fit in with the cool kids at lunch, at the international lunch table, you might say, that they don't recognize that their strength is gone, that their vitality as a nation is gone, because they have turned their backs on the Lord. The arrogance of Israel testifies against him, yet they have not returned to the Lord their God, and they have not sought him despite all this. That is what God wanted, that God allowed all these bad things to happen. God allowed the evil to run its course and the people to suffer for it with the intent that they would recognize their sin, that they would repent. As you see in the cycle of the judges, in the book of Judges, that the people forget God and then they suffer and then they cry out to God and then God restores them and God sends a deliverer. And that is what the nation of Israel is not doing here. They are suffering for their sin 
and they keep doing the same thing. They're certainly persistent. Some would call it the definition of insanity. I'd definitely call it the definition of persistence, of doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting a different result. Well, that's persistence. And persistence is a good thing if it's pointed in the proper direction. Persistence in sin is not a good thing. And the the results that they are feeling ought to be calling them as a wake-up call. And yet they don't. That The nation of Israel pursues this senseless and inconsistent foreign policy. Now we go, beginning in verse 11, we see how the nation interacts with those outside of it, that as they try to assimilate themselves, what does their policy look like? Does this even make sense? Like a gullible dove, verse 11, without sense, they call to Egypt, then they appeal to Assyria. They're calling out to Iran, and then they're appealing to Great Britain, whatever the case may be. They're calling out to enemies who are enemies with each other and saying, oh, will you be an ally with us? Will you be an ally with us? It's just... It doesn't even make sense from a worldly perspective. Verse 12, God says, When they go out, I will spread my net over them. I will bring them down like birds from the sky. I will discipline them on the basis of the report about their assembly. Having forsaken their one great true ally in the Lord, this nation is as silly and senseless as a dove. Worst of all is the complete absence of repentance that none of them call on the Lord None of them call on the Lord despite the assassinations and the suffering that they are experiencing. They do not return to the Lord their God, although they have been drained and and put under the thumb of all these foreign powers. Even in verse 14 here, when they cry out to the Lord, they do not cry out from their hearts. Verse 14, they do not cry out to me with their hearts, but they howl on their beds. They gather together for grain and new wine. They turn away from me. They're gathering together for grain and new wine, probably a symbolically religious ceremony, um, you know, calling out to one of these false gods for help and assistance and provision. Though I trained and strengthened their arms, verse 15, they plotted evil against me. And this is what God sees when he wants to call them back and restore them. They do not return to the Lord their God. They ignore the the one who remembers what they have done. That's what God said all the way back in verse 2. At the very beginning of this chapter, God said, In their hearts, Ephraim does not realize that I remember all their wickedness. What a terrifying thought. And now they speak lies against the God who would heal them. And if Israel can be healed, it would only be with the radical surgery of divine judgment. Verse 16. They return, but not upward. There's a footnote there. Um, They return and not for the better. Um, Maybe return, but they return to the most. (laughs) They do not return to the most high. Or they return, but they turn to Baal. Their officials fall fall by the sword because of their angry tongues. They are like an unreliable bow. A bow that will fall apart when you try to draw it back to loose an arrow. And what do we learn from this? First of all, we see exactly portrayed for us what Paul describes in the New Testament, that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough, that the the sin that was permitted and small perhaps at the beginning has now grown to encompass the entire nation, and it encompasses the nation internally and externally. But then even that sin that is so, so thoroughly corrupted 
has corrupted their natural mind and their reason, their thinking, their logic is corrupted because they're even in their foreign policy, they're being ridiculous and and really dumb. As one pastor that I uh, had the privilege to serve with put it, sin makes us stupid. (laughs) That sin makes us and leads us into doing dumb things that we would recognize are not intelligent in any, in any estimation. And what we have here is a vivid portrayal of the results of sin when it has been allowed to run its course. And so, as you go about your day, just pause for a moment. Pause for a moment and consider your own heart and your own life. What is it that, you know, some pastors might have termed a pet sin? What is it that that you keep hidden, that you think and hope that others don't see? What is it you have explained away as not that big of a deal and nobody knows and nobody gets hurt anyway and it's just this one time. What is it that you have explained away rather than confessing to your Lord? Because sin grows and sin makes us do stupid things and sin, most of all, tears us away from our Lord who wants to restore us. So go ahead, take a minute or two here and confess to your Lord Maybe confess just within the confines of your own mind or confess out loud, whether you're sitting alone or with somebody else. Maybe confess on a piece of paper or call your pastor for private confession and absolution to confess before that person as before God himself. This is, this is what I'm dealing with. This is what I'm trapped in. This is what I'm struggling with. This is what I need help with because I know the danger of sin. Our Lord has clearly portrayed it as a burning tortilla, as a burning piece of nan on the oven, as as the nation of Israel that God wants to restore but can't. And so God doesn't want that for you. God doesn't want that for me. Your Lord who loves beyond love has done everything that it takes. He has carried your sin. So go ahead and confess so that your Lord can restore you as well and set you free. Thanks so much for joining us here at the Raised with Jesus podcast. God bless your day.